I want you to open your Bible over to Genesis chapter 18. God, Your Family, and You is our series, our sub-series is Raising Godly Children in, a, in an Ungodly World. Raising Godly Children in an Ungodly World. Would you agree we live in an ungodly world? Raising Godly Children in an Ungodly World. The current Barna study, George Barna, he does different uh, surveys and so forth. The most recent one, now these vary as time goes on, the most recent one says nearly half of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and again, you know, I know there's variation between what people mean by that, but this is probably somewhere in the neighborhood on this. Nearly half of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before reaching the age of 13. That's 43%. 43% of those who are going to believe do so before the age of 13. And that two out of every three born-again Christians, 64%, made that decision to trust Christ before their 18th birthday. So two-thirds make the decision to trust Christ the Savior before their 18th birthday. And then the others, it breaks down from there. Okay, folks, obviously the issue is this. The younger a person is, the better chance there will be that they will put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's why we have a preschool program. That's why we have a school program. That's why we have a WANA. That's why we have Vacation Bible School. Because once you trust Christ as your Savior, you have everlasting life. And nobody and no false teaching that you learn down the road can undo the fact that you trusted Christ. Now, we don't want them just to get saved, as wonderful as that is. But we certainly want them to be saved, right? Yes, we certainly want them to be saved. Now, as we've seen in our study, we've seen four foundational principles or practices. Unconditional love, which we've covered the last several weeks. We're on firm, consistent discipline. Again, now it was on your study sheet, but I gave you some principles as far as how to discipline your children. If you have to discipline them with corporal punishment, that's one aspect of it. If you have to discipline them that way, I gave you some steps on how to do it. We're not going to cover that today because we're on a different section of the study. But let me say this. If you have any questions about that. Please come see me one-on-one, -on -one, all right? Also, you can, and I again recommend the book, uh, What the Bible Says About Child Training. It's an excellent resource. You can get that as well, and that will help you in that regard. So unconditional love, firm, consistent discipline, which has to do with training because the word discipline is related to the word disciple, which means a learner. We are training our children to respect authority, okay, and submit to them to where they will not only respect human authority, but respect God and listen to him. Because if you don't listen to God, you'll never be saved. And if you're never saved, you'll never get to heaven. And so that's a very important thing. The third issue is biblical instruction. And then the fourth will be godly parental example. That's down the road, okay? But the third one is where we're going to focus today, biblical instructions. And let me say very, very clearly today as we get into this, as we're going to see in Scripture, parents have the responsibility to teach their children the word and the ways of God. Parents have the responsibility to teach their children the word and the ways of God. This is all part of discipleship and our goal in parenting, which again is for our children to grow up to not only be saved, but to be godly, dedicated believers who love and serve Christ. 
All right? If you have children or you're about to have your first child and you're thinking, oh, what are we supposed to do? What direction are we supposed to go? I just gave it to you. For our children to grow up to not only be saved, but godly and dedicated believers who love and serve Christ. Now, let's move on from here. The local church, what we have here, the local church plays a vital part in this discipling the parents and partnering with the parents in teaching the children. We work together. Let me say very clearly today, and please listen carefully, there should be no conflict between the family and the church. Every family is under the local church, at least you're supposed to be. And working together, if you're under the local church, you're in submission to the leadership of that church, that's what the Bible says. I know people get upset with that, but it's because we live in a rebellious society that people would get upset. I can show you scripture after scripture that teaches that, okay? Now, we are to be partnering together. A good local church understands. We partner with the parents, and we together train up those children in a consistent way to where they have a biblical, godly worldview, and they embrace that. That is the goal, that our children would embrace that. More about that in just a couple moments. But there should be no conflict between the family and the church. The local church gives the family a biblical and godly way of applying the truths that are taught. The local church is an avenue for that. All right? Our kids in school, they learn things, and where do they exercise those things? Not only at something like a a regional student convention, they exercise those things in church. They're learning to use their skills for the glory of God through the conduit of the local church and the platform, if I can use that word, of local church ministry. That's God's plan for this age, folks. And so people today say, well, no, you know what? I want my children to obey me, but I don't want to obey those that God's put over me in the local church. You are creating a contradiction in the mind of your children. No, we are to be working together. If you have a godly local church, that church should understand, you know what? Let's partner together with our parents and let's have a unified front, a consistent front for our children to where this is, we're striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the way it's supposed to be. The local church is God's vehicle to take the gospel to the world. And this is through evangelism and then discipleship of those who are a part of that church. That includes each member of the family. Each member, okay? Now, I know there are parents, and you know, this gets some people upset. I know there are parents who say, no, 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 those children belong to me, okay? Now, let me tell you something, buddy. Those children do not belong to you. They belong to God, all right? And he has given you a stewardship with those children, a responsibility with those children. All the children belong to God, Keep that in mind. Now, in in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, it says this. God is talking about Abraham. What a compliment to Abraham. And it says in Genesis 18, 19, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Look at that. The Lord says, I know Abraham. And I know what he's going to do is he's going to command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. That is godly, biblical 
instruction. And that is what every parent should be striving to do. Now this, of course, where does it begin? It begins with salvation in the life. That is where eternal life begins in the life of a child. That is what brings Christianity into the life of a child. You're not a Christian. Listen, God has no grandchildren. You're not a Christian until you've understood your need of salvation and put your faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. Now, children are not born saved. And if your children are born into a Christian home, they're not Christians until they trust Jesus Christ on their own. Now, yes, they're under the influence of Christianity, hopefully, in a, in a proper home, but they're not Christians until they trust Christ as Savior, okay? So everybody's responsible on their own in that regard, right? And this begins with salvation. Look with me to Romans chapter 5. What do I mean by salvation? Salvation, the word salvation means to be delivered from something, okay? To be delivered from something in, in the context of scripture, something bad to something good. Zeroing down on that even more in the area of salvation we're talking about, or eternal life, we're talking about being delivered from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. Did you know that's what God wants for every man, woman, and child who has ever lived on this planet or who will ever be born in this world? That's God's will for all to be saved. And we have a responsibility to get that message out to the lost and dying world in which we live. You see, folks, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We all do things wrong. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. We're going to let my wallet represent our sin, okay? Here we are. We are all sinners. We all do things wrong. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin. You have to be perfect in the eyes of God. Heaven's a perfect place, Revelation 21, 27. You have to be sinless to get in. There's not a person in this world who's sinless. We're all sinners. Therefore, we are disqualified. Not only that, but God says, because we have sinned, we've violated his word, we've broken his laws. He says our sin must be paid for. The wages of sin would be death, separation from God for all eternity. God does not want that for any of us. Now, we're already disqualified, yet some people think, oh, I need to make a commitment and I need to be faithful in the way I live if I want to make it to heaven. But friend, that's taking good works and that's piling it on top of yourself, and yet your sin is still there. It's the sin that has to be gone. Good works are fine, but they will not save you. They won't help you be saved. The sin has to be gone. So how are we going to get rid of that? Well, God so loved us, not wanting us to spend forever separated from him, wanting us to live forever with him, he did all that was necessary for us to live with him forever. He made the payment that needed to be made. This hand representing Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And Jesus, he entered the world, he lived a perfect life, and when he went and died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He died for our sin, for my sin, for yours. Complete payment was made. No sin is left to be paid for. He made that payment. He died, was buried, and came back from the dead. And he says in his word that if you will put your trust, your faith in him, he will give you everlasting life. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. Romans 5, 8, look at it. God commendeth or displayed his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You notice God didn't say you have to forsake all your sin before Jesus will accept you? No. He did the work. 
God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us, on our behalf. On our behalf. Jesus died in your place so you don't have to die and pay for your sins. Jesus made the payment. And all he asks you to do is to put your faith, your trust in him that he did that for you. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, you trust in him as your savior. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. God loves you, friend. You might say, oh, I've, uh, you, you wouldn't believe the things I've done. How could God love me? Because he says so and because he proved it. He does love you, and he will forgive you of all your sin if you'll trust Christ as your Savior. Not only the sins you've done, but all the sins you've done, you'll do till the day you die. Jesus paid for them all when he died on the cross. Now let me show you another passage here. Look with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. And it says in verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved. Grace is unmerited kindness unmerited, undeserved kindness or favor. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now the Calvinists want to say that the gift of God here refers back to faith, but the Greek construction does not, that does not hold up here, okay? That not of yourselves, okay, has to do with the salvation. It refers back to salvation, A.T. Robertson in his great works, Word Studies of the New Testament, I'll make that very clear. He's got a great, great statement in there concerning this. And I think he knew more about Greek than probably any of us do. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You're not saved of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What is salvation? How do you know it's referring to salvation? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that simple? Verse 9 says, it's not of works lest any man should boast. So we want to lead our children to Christ. We want them to understand it. Now, folks, listen. When I talk about leading your child to Christ, I'm not saying you simply get them to repeat after me, quote unquote. Okay? You take time. You start exposing them to the gospel. You start explaining the gospel to them. And many times, while they are still children they will understand their need of a Savior and they will trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They'll understand He is the Savior and that's the way you're saved. Most children, by the way, even if you've never taught them this, most children believe that being good is what's going to get them to heaven. Did you know that? Why? Because you emphasize it all the time. Being obedient, be good, do what you're told and all these different things. So they just automatically think, well, that's how you get to heaven. So you have to undo the wrong idea, which is the same as what we do with adults. No, your good works won't save you. It's only what Jesus did on the cross. He came and died because you couldn't save yourself. And you need to put your trust in him as your savior. Now, now let me also say this. And we had an issue at student convention this, this week with this. Okay, Make your terms clear. Speak the truth of God. Have confidence in not only the word of God, but the words of God. Okay? 
We had somebody this week at student convention saying, and they, they were seeing it as synonymous with trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. They were saying, invite Jesus into your heart or let Jesus come into your heart. Now, listen, I know people mean well by that. I know it. And those same people will say, no, it's not of works. You can't earn your way. And yet they'll, they'll say a term like that because that's what they learned many times. But dear friend, that phrase is not one time found in the Bible. Did you know that? Not one time. What you see in the Gospel of John, 98 times it says believe or faith in Christ. That's what brings salvation. We just quoted John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Believeth in him, not ask Jesus into his heart. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's just say what God does. Hey, can we improve on what God says? We can't improve on it. So let's stick with it, right? And so hopefully that's helpful for us. Now, once saved, the teaching of the word of God is not just the accumulation of knowledge, but the right application of that knowledge. And that is what wisdom is. And there can be, folks, and we all want our children to grow up to be wise individuals, okay? There can be no biblical wisdom without the word of God, for biblical wisdom is based on the word of God. And so if we want our children to be wise, we have to teach them the word of God. That's part of our responsibility. And of course, what is the opposite of a wise person? A fool. And we don't want our children to grow up to be fools. The ultimate goal is for them to follow Christ because they see the value of following Christ. Now, with this, folks, we're getting to the issue of the heart of a child. It is training and teaching them to where they have a Christian worldview and their value system is a biblical one. This is a goal that we're trying to accomplish in the lives of our children. But this is something that somewhere along the line, our children have to embrace themselves. They have to decide on their own that this is what they believe, that this is what they want. They have to see the scriptures and say, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I am going to base my life and my direction and values on this book. I embrace it for myself. Somewhere along the line, I have to do that. Now, they may not do that when they're little kids. They may just believe because you believe. Mom and dad say it, must be true, and so forth. But when it comes to the issues of the Christian life and so forth, somewhere along the line, they're going to have to say, no, this is the way I'm going to go. Many times it's during their teen years, by the way. Many times. I say, shouldn't they be doing it before that? In many ways, kids do not comprehend such a vast, giant concept as that. Some do, but many do not until a little later on. Don't panic on that. The main thing is get them saved, okay? First and foremost, get them to trust Christ the Savior. When a child gets to where they can understand the gospel, okay, it's not the age of accountability, it's the point of accountability, in a life. There is no age. Some religions say it's age seven. Well, you know what? I'd be scared of turning seven. I want to stay six because it means that when I'm seven, then I'm accountable and I could end up in hell, but before I'm seven, I can't. No, no, no. It's once they can understand it. And you know when they can understand it? When they understand that they're sinners. Once they understand they're sinners, 
they can understand they need a Savior. By the way, that's just between that individual and God. We cannot determine when they are accountable. It's something that God sees, but our job as parents, we need to be diligent. Now, by the way, if that's true, and it is, do you see it automatically kicks us into a a mode of being diligent, right? Because we don't want our children to end up lost in hell. Well, they've got their whole life ahead of them. Who says? Who says? Children die every day. They have to embrace it for themselves. There are many factors that go into that. One is discipline, as we have already seen. Another is education or instruction. God will use his word in their lives. Now turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We know we're not under the Mosaic law per se. We're not required to do all of that and all the sacrifices and all that was under the Mosaic law. We understand that, okay? But the principles that we see in Deuteronomy 6 are for us today. The principle, the truth that it's conveying, okay? And and that's why we have the Old Testament. That's clear in the New Testament. It says these things are written for our examples, And so we see this in Scripture. Now, in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 1, it says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou, and thy son, and thy son's son. Do you see that? It's supposed to be multi-generational. Do you see it? all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. So this is something that we need to see as a goal. We need to be teaching, and we need to be discipling them to where this is going to have an effect three generations down. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it might be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, now verse 5, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might, that thou, he's talking to adults at this point, may love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. In other words, with everything within you. Several important truths to embrace here. The first one is this. This is called in Scripture the great commandment. And this is where it begins. Now, notice this very carefully, parents. Very carefully, parents. Notice that before the issue of teaching the Scriptures comes into the picture, our own daily walk with the Lord is put forth. Our own daily walk. In other words, the reality of our own walk with Christ is put forth. Notice that it is not an issue of rules, but it is an issue of a relationship and an attitude towards God himself. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. That's an attitude. That has to do with relationship. That's not a list of rules. Rule-keeping is not the same as relationship. You might say, how do you know that? Because you can't work your way to heaven. That's one reason right there. Working, trying to do good works will not make you a child of God. That's a relationship. In your home life, be careful. Let me say this. If If your home life is nothing but rules, your children will have a warped view of God. And yet, some Christian homes, that's all they are. It's almost like a boot camp, okay? Your kids are going to have a warped view of God. Remember, 
a child's portrait of God is painted by the way their parents live their lives. They will see God as they see you. Our relationship with the Lord affects our view and our attitude towards his word. Now, parents, very carefully and very, very, let me emphasize this. It is impossible to lead our children somewhere we are not going ourselves. The idea of leading means we're out front. We're leading. They're following. And what is the first thing mentioned in this passage? That you love the Lord supremely over everything else. See, that reality in the life of a parent cannot be argued with. If children see the reality of Christ in the life of the parent, and this lends itself to what we'll be, I'll be speaking on two weeks from today in our last session. If kids see that reality, that has a profound effect on them and their mindset. Oh, how children today suffer because of their parents. Because their parents many times are one way at church and another way at home. You know what? You're going to lose your kids. If you live two different lives, you're going to lose your children. They've got to see the reality there. Now, verse 5, I want you to look at verse 5. If verse 5 is not true in our own lives as parents, how can we ever teach it to our children? How can I teach my children anything about loving the Lord if I don't love the Lord? I can't do it. If he's not first in my life, if I'm not in love with him and wanting to walk with him every day, how am I going to teach my children how to do that? And yet I, I have a responsibility to teach them exactly that. Verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. You notice, first comes loving the Lord, first comes your relationship with them. And then it says, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto their children. You notice it isn't just a matter of having the word, but having the word in your heart. That means you've allowed it to penetrate your life. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and then shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Which leads us to our second point. Believers have a responsibility to teach our children God's word and ways at all times. In other words, again, there needs to be a consistency in the home. It needs to be a truly Christian home. As one man once said, a Christian home is not merely a place where Christians live. It's a home where Christ lives. The emphasis is that Christ is the center of that home and his word is centered in that home. There's a reality there. Now, the world in which we live, even, even the Christian world in which we live today, if you say something like that, they say, you're fanatical. You're fanatical. Well, no, that is what the Bible teaches. See, folks, God's never wrong. It's we who are wrong. And the majority vote of man who is out of fellowship with God or not right with God does not determine truth. God's word is the truth. And it stays that way all the way through. So believers have a responsibility to teach our children God's word and ways at all times. This is not meant to be some kind of ritual or drudgery, but a natural reality for the family. There needs to be a consistency 
on this, okay? Again, this doesn't mean, listen, this doesn't mean that every time you see your children and every moment they live, you are quoting Bible verses to them or preaching to them. That is not natural, and many times that'll just turn them away. But it is a natural way you are focused and you're in love with Christ and you let that spill out into the life of your family. And you're doing it in a natural way. It is an issue of applying the word of God to every situation. It is seeing the world and the issues of life as Jesus does and dealing with them that way. Now, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead into next, next week, we're going to talk about practical ways to accomplish that, okay? But I'm kind of getting ahead a little bit on this. But let me say this, friends. One of the greatest things you can do as you observe life and as you go through life with your children and you notice things, and maybe they're in the grocery store and they're with you and they see something happen, something bad, or some child throw a temper tantrum or, or this thing or that thing, or police show up at the store and they take somebody away and all these kind of things, okay? You're making mental notes of this. And then when you get home, you talk to your kids and say, hey, did you notice what happened at the store today? Let's talk about it. See, that's bringing this thing home. It's not just theory, this is how the Bible applies to life. That's what you're trying to get them to understand. And you can do it in such a natural way to where it's just the way life is. And that's the way life is supposed to be. And that will make a profound impact on the mind of your child and on their soul. This is why, by the way, we have a Christian school. The purpose of the local church is evangelism and discipleship. The Christian school is an integral part of accomplishing this in the lives of our children. Yes, folks, listen, we have very high academics in our school, and our kids learn amazing things, okay? And they graduate very well-rounded and very well-equipped, knowledge-wise, as far as getting an excellent, excellent education. And there are some Christians who say, oh, that ACE program, yeah, boy, stay away from that and all that. Let me tell you something. They are ignorant with a capital I, they do not know this. Have you ever taught it before? Well, no. Well, then what are you doing talking about it? You know what? You've learned somewhere along the line. I could say the same thing about Abeka or Bob Jones. But unless you've taught it, what do you know about it? Now, by the way, I have taught Abeka and Bob Jones in a traditional classroom. And from my perspective, as a pastor, as a parent, and as a principal, ACE is far superior to any of those. I really believe that. All three of our girls came up through the ACE program. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't undo that. I wouldn't say, oh, if I had it to do over again, I would do. No, you know what? If I had it to do over again, we'd do the same thing as what we've done. The same thing. We have a wonderful educational program in our church. But in our curriculum, the Bible is focused. It is through every pace those are the packets of learning. It is through everything that we do. The word of God is woven through it. The kids are memorizing scripture. They're learning it every single day. And what are we doing? We're not saying to the parents, lay off their R's. What we're saying to the parents is, listen, if you want your children in our school, they're going to have to get engaged in this. Or you're going to have to get engaged in this and work with us because we're serious about turning out disciples for Jesus Christ. We're serious about it. Our kids learn from first grade, you were created to bring glory to God. 
See, it gives them a purpose from day one. Now, let me say this. Remember, the Bible is central to all we do. And according to the word of God, the Bible is supposed to be central to all we do. Is that not what Deuteronomy 6 is saying? It absolutely is. So let me just challenge you, dear friend. This is not something that could ever be accomplished in the government schools of today. And you wonder why our country is the way it is? I'll tell you why. It's because God was asked to leave in the 60s. And we then started educating people in secularism and ungodliness and evolution and a false ungodly worldview. And those children that were educated then are the adults of today. They're the ones who are running things. And you wonder why we have such bizarre things going on in America. It's because they're not saved and they're not godly and they're running the show. And so what do you expect? We can whine and complain all we want, but if we're not committed to doing it the right way, what do we expect? If there were no alternatives, then you just grit your teeth and bear it and go through, but there are alternatives to the government schools. Could never be accomplished in the government schools. In most areas, just the opposite is happening. Children are being taught ideas that contradict and undermine the Bible and what Christian parents are trying to accomplish at home. Now, let me just say this. Can a child, can a Christian child go through the public school system, okay, with Christian parents, and when they come out on the other end, can they still go on and live for Christ? Yes, they can. But those kids are an exception. And I, for... One, and my wife would agree with this, we certainly didn't want to take the chance. Why? When you've got alternative. In case you haven't noticed, folks, there's a battle for the minds of our children. Because if you get the children, they're going to be adults someday. The unraveling of our society over the last 50 years can, to a great extent, be traced back to the eradication of the biblical influence in the family. Our schools and the media and the media. Do you believe the level of perversion that is out there today in the media? You know, folks, if parents would have done their job, it would have never taken place. Did you know that? It would have never taken place. But parents dropped the ball. You might say, why wouldn't it have taken place? Because we would have been diligent to lead our children to Christ. And then we would have had Christian homes, which would have impacted their lives. And then many of them, not all of them, I understand, but many of them would have embraced Christianity as their own and the way that they were going to live their lives. And then their worldview would have been a biblical one and they would have had an impact on their world, on society, and on their children for the good, not the bad. But we reap what we've sown. I came over this a while back and I think it's profound and I don't, I don't share it to browbeat anybody, but I, friend, I share this to you. I just want you to think about it. You do with it what you're going to do with it. These are questions to ask people who have their children in the government schools. This is taken from an article, Learning to Stand for Truth, from Pro Family News, November, December 2006. Here you go. Questions to ask. Number one, do you believe that God created you? Then ask this, what does your school teach? Do you believe in abstinence? What does your school teach? Do you believe that homosexuality is normal? What does your school teach? Do you believe in absolute truth? What does your school teach? Do you believe our rights come from the government? What does your school teach? Do you believe the environment, and may I add certain animals, are more important than an unborn child? 
What does your school teach? Do you believe that God is the ultimate authority? What does your school teach? Now, friend, if your school does not teach the biblical answers to those questions, then are they not undermining what you're trying to accomplish in your Christian home? There's alternatives. You know what it is? Jump in with both feet. If you're a safe person, listen, if you're here today and you're a safe person, okay, jump in with both feet. Say, you know what? I am going to commit myself to be an active member of this church. I want to be a member of the church. I want, when we have children, I want my kids to be in this school. And let's work together and let's partner together in serving the Lord and training up a next generation of kids who are not only saved, but they love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their hearts. See, that's how we should see all this. Not... Well, it's salvation's one thing. My Christianity's over here, and then my life is over here. No, no, you're going to lose your children. Let's close over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. See, the reason Moses said what he did in Deuteronomy about loving the Lord with all your heart and then be diligently to teach our children when? All day long. It's a life issue. It's not a family altar issue. And I'm not against that, Okay having time every day where you talk and discuss the scriptures with your kids, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying, though, is it's got to go further than that. It's got to be something that, that is their life 24-7. We are a Christian home. 2 Timothy 3.14, Paul says to Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, this book, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. I love that word. Profitable. This is a good deal. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And if we take it at that, and if we live that and apply that, what is the result? Verse 17, that the man of God or the believer, because it would apply to women as well, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Look at those words, doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. The word reproof means conviction. See, the Bible is what convicts. The word correction means restoration, literally to an upright state. The Greek word, we get our, our English word orthopedic from it. It means to restore, to straighten out. Literally, it means to straighten out. So it's profitable for teaching, conviction, restoration, for instruction. That means training or education. So what is doctrine? Uh, doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what is wrong. Correction is how to make it right. Instruction is how to keep it right. The Word of God is profitable in all of those areas. Therefore, our homes need to be truly Christian homes. And we need to protect our children from influences that are going to mess that up or undermine that. Now, I know there's the argument, well, but their mission field is school where they go. Some kids, they can do that. Most kids do not. Most kids end up compromised, worldly, and just like their lost counterparts. Most of them do. Might say, well, don't you think it's an issue of the home? Yes, mainly it is. But also, listen, how much poison are you going to give your child and say it's okay? I don't want mine to have any. 
See, if we do what we are supposed to do as parents, this can go a long way in our children turning out right and turning out godly, responsible, and effective citizens of this country. Listen, folks, there is no better citizen of America than a dedicated Christian. It is amazing to me that people are wanting to undo that when the best thing we can have in America is godly, dedicated Christians. They're not the lawbreakers. They're praying for leadership. They're encouraging leadership to do what is right. They're paying their taxes, hopefully. How is biblical instruction accomplished? We're going to look at that next week. But let me close with this story. Listen carefully. In ancient China, the people desired security from the barbaric hordes to the north. So they built the Great Wall of China. That'll take care of it. It was so high they knew no one could climb over it and so thick that nothing could break it down. They settled back to enjoy their security. During the first hundred years of the wall's existence, China was invaded three times. Not once did the barbaric hordes break down the wall or climb over the top. Each time they bribed a gatekeeper and then marched right through the gates. What's the point? The Chinese were so busy relying upon the walls of stone that they forgot to teach integrity to their children. Do you get the point? It's an issue of character. What are we trying to do with our children? We want them to be saved and to grow up to be godly, responsible people who love the Lord and serve him. You know what? That's the antidote to this kind of stuff. Now, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior... You're not a child of God yet, and yet God wants you to be his child. Would you today trust him as your savior? Your good works won't save you. It's only what Christ did on the cross that can bring you salvation. Put your faith in him today, would you? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.